back. Pulls up for three. Boom! Knocks it down. Curry from the corner at three. Puts it in. For overtime. Makes it. Garrett. One welcome from you, Mark Woods, to the latest edition of the MVP Cast, brought to you in association with our good friends at Total Environmental Compliance. Check out their consultancy services for a whole range of environmental issues at tecompliance.co.uk. Now, my guest on this edition is a former basketball player. Now, I'll let saying that out loud sink in for a second for him. He called time in his career earlier this week after 14 seasons as a professional, 20 major trophies, plenty of great achievements on both sides of the Atlantic, and one of the finely crafted beards that the BBL has ever seen. Andy Thompson, welcome to the MVP cast. Uh, thank you for having me, Mark. Andy, I mean, it was a heck of a career. I mean, you're 36 years old, and you said to me when we, we traded messages on Monday night ahead of your announcement that you felt this was time. I mean, what, describe for us, what was the process in deciding retirement was, was on its way? Um, well, coming into last year, 2019, um, season, I was, um, I'd spoke to, to the club, well, Russell and about negotiating contracts. And I was like, I only want to do one year at a time. Um, and last year was kind of going to be my last, but then obviously with COVID it hit, um, kind of didn't sit right with me just ending it there. Um, but then over the summer, um, you know, being in lockdown and spending more time uh, at home and, and just working and just in general, um, it started to feel, you know, more normal, more normal for me. So uh, it just it just felt right in the end that I'll just I'll call time now and not try and force another year out of out of my body. Even though it still feels good, it's just it, it does take its toll on me. And um, I thought, yeah, why not do it now? You know, with with the extended break and and. We'll see what, what happens. I mean, clarify for us, was there a new deal, deal on the table from Leicester for this season? Uh, we're going back and forwards. Um, obviously, with COVID and stuff like that, there was there was salaries were going to have to come down and I was I was under no illusion that that was going to happen. Um, and I was talking to Worcester as well, um, briefly in, in, in the summer. So uh, enough was, uh, wasn't put there because they, they couldn't get to the figure that, you know, I had. I'd kind of accept. So I was happy just to kind of part ways with the club. Um, there's no animosity there. It's business. I understand with the, the climate and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, just, you know, I'll onto new and bigger things now. Who did you did, uh, discuss this, I guess, decision with at the end? Because, you know, this was a lot of people, the ideal ending is you go out with a trophy or in a final or in a final game mm-hmm. where you can take your bar at the end of it and you know we've seen lots of players you know drew sullivan for example he, you knew it was coming so therefore there's the final send off and that's quite nice to have the cap out of career i mean I, yeah. how did you kind of discuss this idea of you know, do a hang on and, and kind of go out in my own terms rather than covid creating this sort of slightly unwieldy finish yeah um it was it was mostly it was my wife mostly Nick um, you know we had several conversations over the summer uh, as soon as the season was over I was still working out still you know staying in shape but there was just no deadline to when things were going to start again and I was like you know I normally take off a good couple of months after a season um, 
but obviously with this extended period of time that started to get longer and longer and I was like you know getting back into shape and you know it takes its toll and I, I, I don't know if I had the passion to, to kind of to do it again um, and it would have been nice to have a send-off uh, you know at a final or you know at least the last home game I could say bye to the crowd and stuff like that in my own way but um, it, it just felt right just to just to court, just draw a line under it, um, and you know start as soon as possible with my next my next career, whatever that's going to be. Describe that point, and presumably it was Nick that was the person was involved when you said out loud, "I'm retiring. That's it." Uh, it, it's, it was an emotional time, and she asked me several times, "Is like, is that really what you want?" Um, because obviously she sacrificed so much over our time together so far. Um, she's travelled, she's lived with me in France. She's travelled across the world to the, Australia to watch me play, and she's you know gone up and down the country um, supporting me, and she's always been there. And um, but yeah, when I finally just kind of just, I think I was just in the kitchen cooking, and I just turned around and said, you know what, I'm I'm done. Um, and she kind of checked, checked me a couple of times. She said, "Are you really sure you want to, you want to do it?" And I was like, "Yeah, I think it's 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 right." Um, and then yeah, she was just super positive about it, super supportive. And then I kind of ran it by a couple of friends as well, um, and they were, you know, they they kind of checked with me and just to see if it was really what I wanted, and it was. And and everyone's been supportive, and it shocked some people, but I think it's, it comes to an end eventually, and. You know, it's not the way everyone wants to go out, but it's, you know, it is what it is. I mean, Mark Considine's been your agent and your your friend yeah. for, for, for a long time. I mean, as, as someone who's, he's been in that position at one point, was it useful to have an agent who at one point has had to make that call? Um, yeah, it, it was use, useful to, to speak to Mark because... Um, in his case, he, he's admitted it that he played on way too long and now he's kind of, you know, suffering from it a little bit, you know, the aches and pains and stuff like that. And I'm lucky at the stage where I'm now, like, um, I've got no serious injuries to my knees or ankles. Okay, yeah, I've had calf issues for the last couple of years, but, you know, that's, that's not the end of the world. But, you know, my back's good and I'm, I'm feeling great shape, so I'm, I'm happy that I can you know, move on and not be kind of left scarred from the years of basketball. And, um, yeah, and that's all I can really ask for is that I'm in the best shape moving on into, into my next career and, you know, I stay healthy as long as I can. Uh, it's helps to be in good shape now so you can let yourself go spectacularly over the next <laughs> yeah. year. No, I don't think I can actually do that. Um, <laughs> I, I was talking to Nicky yesterday about it. It's like, you know what, I'm just... I can't, I can't put on the weight because um, my friend Alan Metcalf, he retired years and years ago, and he basically had to look at a pork pie and he'd put weight on. Whereas I don't think I'd suit being absolutely ginormous. So um, I'm just going to keep running, doing my own little thing, and kind of keep the weight off. And yeah, I think that's the idea anyway. Just keep listening to this podcast every year and remind yourself of what you said at the time. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I will. I, will. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, we've seen the pictures on, on, on social media the last few days of riders you know, back at back at preseason training. I mean, emotionally, how do you make this adjustment now that your colleagues, your running mates of you know, of all these past few years are are, are back in that gym? We the place where it's been so special for you, and 
this mm-hmm. isn't going to be your normality from now on. No, it's quite nice actually. <laughs> um, it, no, it is. It's obviously yeah. Basketball became more more of a job. Not that I lost the passion because I really enjoyed playing, but it was the back end of my year. It's, it was just a job, and you turn up and do the job, and then you go home. And I had other things on my mind, and you know, I was always thinking to the future. So you know, basketball was nice to to kind of fill fill a gap during the day, um, during the morning, and then I could do whatever I wanted in the afternoon. And less there were super supportive of that and you know they never stood in my way because obviously I was trying to create a business and stuff like that and they've always been supportive in that way but yeah I don't think I miss it I don't miss that I might miss it yeah I do miss the the, the first practice of the season where everyone gets together the excitement there but you know I, I just don't miss the feeling sore for the first month of you know running and getting the body back into game shape and I'll miss, the, I'll miss the camaraderie and being around the guys and stuff like that because it's just like an extension of being at high school. You're with your friends all the time. So I'll miss that kind of thing. But, you know, it's it's time to grow up, you know what I mean? Get a real job. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I've been fortunate. I've been able to play a sport that I love for 14 years. Um, just been a big kid for, for that long. So now it's time to put on my big boy pants and uh, start earning some more more money. There's a great line in the in the blog post that you, you posted earlier this mm-hmm. week to tell everyone about this. And it said, if I was able to tell the young 12-year-old me who walked into that after-school club at Pointon High that by doing this one small act would lead him on an amazing adventure across the globe to study abroad, represent your country, play professionally abroad and have successes domestically over a 14-year pro career, he'd never mm-hmm. believe me. Yeah. Now you've had... 48 hours to stand back from this yeah. do you are you able to kind of take in these accomplishments and we'll talk a little bit about the sheer sort of scale of them but you know, can, can you know is it, it's always difficult when you're playing you talk to athletes and, you know it's like there's always another challenge there's always another trophy you move on very quickly but mm. can you sit back a little bit now and maybe look at the mantelpiece and appreciate the depth of the success that you have managed to have um, that's, that's a tough one. I, I don't. I never thought I was going to play basketball. Like I come from a rugby family, so my I always grow, thought growing up that my destiny was going to be in rugby. Uh, and then just by chance, I went to an after-school club, and then that kind of ignited a flame in me that you know kind of has still been burning to today. And and the accomplishments the accomplishments that I've had over that time, I don't know. It's it is special. I know it's special because not everyone does it, but I don't know. It just seems it's like normal to me. I don't know. I've I've been able to I've been able to have success everywhere I've gone, and that's become normality to me. And I don't know. It's just hard to kind of put all that into perspective. Really, uh, I've just been very fortunate to be on good teams and be around people who have the same mentality as me, and and kind of have moulded me into who I am today like I don't know it's I don't know some people say it might be destiny or something like that I think I think you make your own luck I think you put in the time and effort and stuff like that and and good things are going to happen so it, I think it's too soon to really kind of quantify what's what I've accomplished and stuff like that but 
um, it's it's nice to to look back and and see all the messages that people have sent me and I've gone out there you know their little time of the day they've they've kind of stopped and looked at what I've done and and sent me a message and stuff like that and it's 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 just super I'm super proud of that that I've actually influenced so many people and you know given so many people you know good times and stuff like that that it's um yeah it's just a nice feeling is it gratifying most of me looking looking at some of those messages on, on, on social it struck me that obviously former teammates come out and you guys you've been to mm-hmm. to, to war with etc but a lot of opponents as well and you know yeah does that is that in a sense gratifying and you know perhaps even surprising that you know these are the guys that you fought for trophies for and you've tried to beat and mm-hmm. all that but now here's that moment where a lot of guys i saw mike tuck's particularly eloquent you know tribute yeah. but you know, they've, they've come out and said actually we we really appreciated playing against you yeah no it is it's nice i think um when you play against each other for so long and you know the amount of times we've played me and mike have played against each other and and Drew Lasker and, and Darius and stuff like that. You kind of you respect them for what they've what they accomplish, how they, they conduct themselves, and then that, that, that kind of drives you on to to be better. Like I never like I've lost to Mike once in a final, and it was never going to happen again. Um, <laughs> and that kind of like drives you on to to always be better. Um, and it's. It's just testament to those guys as well that they they're still playing, they're still grinding and stuff like that. It's 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 nice that you you do get recognised and you know you play against each other and you might not talk as much and stuff like that, but um, you do have a, a special bond that um, you can always go back to the memories of when we played against each other and um, well when we played with each other on at the Commonwealth Games and stuff like that. So it is nice. It's it's just nice recognition really. You said in that post something that really struck me, and it wasn't you know talking about you know the the skills or the experiences or, or the wins or losses, but you were talking said about you know, how basketball helped mould your core beliefs and your moral compass. You could mm-hmm. Quantify that how that that effect or what that effect was for you. Uh, I think I think with basketball. People come from all different walks of life. They've experienced things, and when you interact with them, you can slowly start picking things up off them, and that that feel right to you. And um, and that's that's how I've always been. Whenever I've ever met someone, I'm, I'm not a most I'm not the most outspoken person. Uh, I'm a pretty shy guy actually, and it takes me time to kind of get used to people and. I have to stand back a little bit, which can, can sometimes seem that I'm not interested in anything. But it's actually I'm just I'm just gauging who you are and what you're about, and um, and if I'm going to get along with you, kind of thing. And but I think everyone I've got along with over my career has has just shown me a different kind of perspective. I've, I've you know I've I've grown up from you know a strictly white background um, in Cheshire to then when I was growing. To when I went to basketball, you know, I had a lot of black teammates and black friends, and then I see their side of things. And, and obviously, the more you travel, you see different cultures, you see different ways of life, and how people conduct themselves. Um, you just take a little bit from that, and you know, you, you kind of know what's right and wrong, and and that's how I've kind of tried to mold myself. And you know, I believe I'm a at heart, I'm a good guy, and 
and everyone sees me and I think my perception, people's perceptions of me are I'm a decent guy and, you know, I never want to let anyone down and I'm always there to help someone if, if they need help. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, we take something from everyone and that's kind of how I've kind of led my life really. So um, my moral compass is, is everyone's taught me um, to be a good person kind of thing. It's hard to kind of put it all together. Given what you said, I mean, you obviously you came through the sort of Trafford Manchester Magic system with yeah. guys like you know, Graham Williams and Jeff Jones, but then you went to Catawba, yeah. and that's relative. It's not exactly a metropolitan college in, in North Carolina. I mean, it's it's mm-hmm. it's right in I wouldn't call it the backwoods either, but it's you know it's pretty small and it, it's out there and it's in that part of the states where the Civil War raged and the the, mm-hmm. the cultural battleground i guess to some extent continues today how yeah. how much of a culture shock was that for you coming out of cheshire to go to somewhere like that where diversity and race and everything about that is such a such a hot topic yeah it, it was a, it was a massive culture shock um and obviously uh, you know playing in manchester and there's this and it's maybe naivety of myself and just because obviously where I grew up, you know, I had teammates who were black, but there wasn't that many playing at my time. But then I went to the States kind of on my own to Catawba. Um, and that was the first thing that I noticed that there was a lot more, there was a lot more black people around, um, very nice people. Um, and, I, you know, I became good friends with, you know, with all my teammates Um and yeah, that kind of opened my eyes that there's a bigger world out there than this small little Cheshire and pointing where I was from. Um, and there's a lot more things going on, and people are about different things, and people are struggling with different things. And you know, my my struggles are insignificant to some people's struggles, and and you just have to you have to see it from their perspective. Um, and I'm thankful that you know I got the opportunity to go to the states and Coach Baker kind of pick me he recruit well he didn't really recruit me it was the Davidson coach saw me play in a um in a you know kind of a setup game for my friend Harris who passed away he went to Toledo he had to arrange a, a game for a coach to come and see him and it was um, Bob McKillop at Davidson and Harris asked me to play in the game and Bob saw me play and basically called Jim Baker and said hey I've got this English kid 6'9 um, I suggest you take him and I got a phone call the next day offering me a full scholarship to go and go to the States and that's just opportunities that you kind of make and you know I don't know it's it's bizarre really but it's it was an amazing trip and an opportunity that I grasped with both hands I was it was never the I always wanted to go to the States but I was looking at going to Europe and I was kind of looking at that avenue and going to an academy and Different different things open up, and you kind of just you just roll with it, really. So you yeah, pl- you played at Pringles under eighteen level. I mean, but obviously there wasn't that sort of huge buzz about you in a sense that that some players mm-hmm. get. What was the yeah. point where I don't know if you convinced yourself or you were convinced that this, yeah, you know, this is probably something you should take seriously. That there may down the line be opportunities for you to 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 end up with this career where you play for so many years. Yeah, I, growing up, I was never, I was never, um, I never had the reputation 
or as, as some of the guys, reputation and the pedigree as some of the guys in our club. And and the, the year before, I wanted to go to high school, but the club said, I don't think you're ready. I don't think you'll be able to handle it. And then I ended up playing for the Division One team with Jeff. Um, so I was kind of held back a year with Alan Metcalf, Callum, because uh, they were a year younger than me. Uh, Harris went off to do his thing. Um, and then at the end of the season, um, Graham Williams came up to me and apologised to me and said, you know, you've, you've had a great year. You should have gone to high school this year. Uh, and I apologise for, for holding you back. I, um, I've always had the mentality that no one's going to tell me what I can or can't do. I just don't have it in it that let me let anyone tell me what I can or what I can't do. And and then that the following year, I, I kind of pushed for um, to go to Catawba. I got the scholarship and, and then I went. But I wish I'd gone to high school um, and I'd have got more exposure. But it wasn't meant to be. I went the way I did. And I think I, for me, that was great for my development. I I was I played more. I didn't go to a big-time school like some of my friends, and they didn't play as much. But when we came back in the summer, the development, you could see there was a massive difference between what I was doing and what they were doing because I was constantly playing. I was always, yeah, it might not have been Division One, it was Division Two, but just having game experience and, and stuff like that, you know, my development kind of progressed massively. Um, and you, just, you grab every, any opportunity you can and, and give it everything you've got. So... So yeah, when you when you come back from Catawba, I mean, those first, you know, after two years though, your first season was was back with the Magic, and that's you know, mm-hmm. that's a semi-pro gig. And did you thinking back on this? Did you have a job when you were you returned? No, so I was so the reason I came back to Magic was to finish my studies off. Um, so originally it was only going to be for one year at Manchester Met, and then because um, the grade, some of the grades wasn't transferring over. They said, oh, you'll have to do two. So I was like, okay. So I was studying and playing semi-pro at Manchester. So they were paying for me accommodation and stuff like that and had a little bit of money. Um, and then obviously I had a student loan and all that. So um, that was my mentality. It was just come back, play a year, and then we'll see what happens. And Halfway through the year, I was travelling back and forwards from Manchester to to Crew to to the the Crew site, and I wasn't enjoying the course. They put me on a course which I didn't really want to do, and I kind of just said, you know what, that's it, I'm done. I'm going all in on basketball, and I moved to Spain the very next year and kind of just forged my own career. Like, you know, people weren't looking at me then. Uh, but I, I knew my own capabilities and what I could do and I needed to go abroad to grow up a little bit as well and um, kind of find find me and what I can do and and that's what I did. I mean, those two seasons in Spain you had, I mean, it's the fourth tier and it's mm-hmm. to all extent semi-pro, although you're getting paid a little, you know, for that. Yeah. Was, was there a part of you that thought, this is me going to bet on myself here? You know, this is not, I'm not going to get rich. It's... It's a great standard, but not at the standard I want to be at. I mean, was yeah. was there that part of it that felt like I've got to take this this gamble just to see where this goes? Yeah, um, and you, that is, you just want to play basketball, and you 
want to kind of prolong it as long as possible. And I was signed to the, the Leb Silver team um, on their like academy setup. So there was me and a couple of the players that they kind of loaned out to the their kind of feeder team. Uh, so I'd practice twice a day with the first team and then I'd go to my team practices in the evening. So I was practicing three times a day. Um, and I wasn't on great money, but I was on, you know, okay money. Better money than some guys making the BBL. So it was just, <laughs> it's, you know, it was nice. And then the next year I had a solid year for them. Um, people people were calling for me to, to play for the, the Lep Silver team because they weren't happy with a couple of players. They were like, you know, they, they saw the potential in me. And, and then, you know, that club got hit with financial problems and, you know, it was... The team got fractured a little bit um, and towards the end of the season and guys weren't getting paid and stuff like that. And So then, um, because obviously I had a decent year, I, I kind of went to the south of Spain instead and earned double the money I was on the year before. And I thought, you know, well, if this is the trajectory that I'm on, then I think it's before no time I'll be earning decent money. But it all comes down to me performing and and, you know, putting in the work on the court and, you know, it's kind of paid off. When you get that call, you're 25 years old, and Tony Garbalotto is in charge at Everton mm-hmm. slash Mersey Tigers as they become after that and says, come home. Mm-hmm. How, how pivotal was that in terms of a show of faith in those years that you'd spent building yourself up and learning learning on the job? Well, it, it wasn't Tony who called me. It was James Jones had been in my year because obviously he'd been at Mersey the year before Everton the year before and he was like hey you know why don't you come back and stuff like that and I was to and fro in whether to do it and then he said you know Tony wouldn't mind having a look at you so they had to go down for a trial and that and and I was still talking to teams in Spain and then yeah and then when Tony said yeah you know we want to offer you something um I want to give you a shot in BBL um you know, growing up, watching the Manchester Giants and stuff back in the day when I was at high school and, and that, it's always been a dream to play in the BBL. So it was, you know, it was just another challenge that I set myself. And I was like, and now I need to succeed on at the domestic level. And, you know, it's a, a better standard and, you know, I'm going to have to up my game. And But it was just a challenge that, you know, I was I refused to kind of lose. That team there. And that, mm-hmm. particularly in the second year there, got the team got the treble. It's your best yeah. season statistically over your career. And I, we talked about London Lions. Someone asked me the question the other day, was that, is this the best lineup? I still think that team is right up there with the best teams that we've seen in the BBL. And it's so much depth that they had and you're just great talent. But you're very central in that. I mean, how, how satisfying was it to carve out that important role on a team that's, that was that good. Um, I don't know. I, don't, I kind of just looked at it as I, I was just doing my job, my role. Um, just play team basketball. Like we were a stacked team. We we had very unselfish guys, and obviously we were led by by Drew Sullivan, like the, the ultimate winner. So Tony put the right guys in the right place behind the the right leader, and we all followed suit and we all complimented each other and obviously the troubles that we went through through the whole season financially um, 
you know that were that was tough but i think because of the guys were so close and what we wanted to do and and just it was just in our nature that no matter what we're going to compete for each other and and whatever's happening off the court you know happens off the court there's nothing that we can change but you know if we if we do really great this year then that helps everyone else in the future so let's just get our heads down and, and do it and I just found my niche, found my role and played it as best as I could. And, you know, we, we had huge success. We should have won four that year, but Sheffield just absolutely mullered us in the final. And um, I just never wanted that to happen again. And um, I think the whole team were like that. And we just kicked on and, and we did what we needed to do. You didn't have to that year at Newcastle after that, but then you went off to France to La Rochelle. I mean, lots of yeah. players would have happily settled for a domestic career and just just ridden that path but you know for you, you know, obviously having taken that decision to go to spain and, and learn there you, mm-hmm. how much how much of a, of a positive or, or an assist was it for your career to to have dipped into those other leagues and got got i suppose the basketball experience and also i guess the life experience alongside that yeah it was just um obviously money talks at the end of the day and when someone keeps, you know, dangling a bigger carrot in front of your face and you keep turning it down and they keep offering you more and more money, <laughs> it's going to kind of turn your head a little bit. And Newcastle couldn't get anywhere near what they were offering. And I was like, you know what, it's it's a great opportunity. I was hesitant because at that time, um, my, wa- my wife, Nick, now was, we just started dating. So it was, it was a big, that was a big adjustment. You know, it was either make or break. And, you know, we kind of both jumped in and said, hey, let's just, we're going to earn enough money to support us both. Let's go. And she was like, yeah. She jacked a job in, in in London and and then we went and had an amazing time. And that was another time for me to, to grow as a person and accept more pressure. Um, obviously, when you're the foreigner and you come in, there's a lot more more expectation on your shoulders and stuff like that. And but both both years, we you know, we overachieved uh, for, for the budgets that we had. Uh, compared to a lot of the teams in the league, and you know, we made it to the semi-final of the playoffs, both like both seasons. And the second season, we should have we should have got promoted, but due to financial reasons, the club couldn't afford to go up. So the coach was told to tank the game. So which kind of doesn't sit right with with you as a player. You, know, you you bust your ass all year, and then when it comes to actually getting to the you know accomplishing what you were set out at the beginning to do and, and you're told that actually it's not possible and everyone else was fine with that but I just couldn't get my head around that it was just it was bizarre it was so let's um, clarify that hard hard as a coach and with presumably some cooperation with those players tank a game in that manner what, what what's the discussion and how does that go down um well it's done by sitting four of your starters in, in the fourth quarter when you're <laughs> that would help. when you're in a in, in a close game and not putting them back on. Um and it was kind of under the it was it was spoke about before. You know, the president came forward and said, you know, we cannot afford to go up because um, our budget is gonna go from six hundred thousand to, you know, a couple of mil because you're gonna need two starting fives in, in the Pro B. So and everyone was com- comfortable with that. And that kind of just blew my mind. The agents and, and everyone was like, yeah, you've had a good run. You know, you've you gone to next year and stuff like that. And I was just like, 
I just couldn't believe it. I was even asking my teammates on the bench. I was like, what's going on? This was during the game, like the fourth quarter, and he's like, can't afford to go up. So we're throwing the game. And he's like, that's just bizarre. But, you know, that's money for you, isn't it? And it always talks. It always talks. It does. It does. When you come back to, to this country with Newcastle, you got a very special chance to play with your brother Stuart. He's you know four years younger, but also went to guitar bar. And, you know he's he's been retired a few years now. But you know, mm-hmm. growing up, you know the age difference always always sort of hinders in a sense. But I mean, how much how much of an influence were you on him, and perhaps even him on you? Um, well, when he came back to Newcastle, I wasn't. I looked at going to Leicester, um, and then. And then, you know, Leicester opened my eyes that there was, you know, they were growing, they were becoming a force and stuff like that. And they kind of turned my head a little bit. But then ultimately, I, I went back to Newcastle. I was familiar with the with everything and knew everyone. And and obviously, the draw of my brother being there, um, you know, I've always wanted to play alongside him. And an opportunity to do it at, at Newcastle was just was perfect. And me and my brother came a lot more closer over those two years. Um, uh, you know, when you when you're with someone every day at practice and stuff like that, and then you'd come over and hang out and would eat together and stuff like that, it was it was huge. And I think my brothers always tried to to follow me with my basketball, and and we've both enjoyed it together. It's it's I take a lot from my brother. You know, his determination, and you know, my brother suffered um, suffered from cancer when he was younger, and kind of overcame that while I was while I was in Spain and he came out there to, to live with me for a couple of months while he kind of recuperated from chemo and um yeah it was just something that I needed to fulfil and, and play with him and we had huge success and you know I'll I'll always look back on those those times as fond memories that yeah self like personally I accomplished things but we accomplished things together uh, and that's just nice to think think about. I mean it's meant that by then moving down to Leicester, I mean, you've played for three of the best coaches we've seen domestically in this league over the past couple of decades. Fab, Flanoy, Rob Paternostro, Tony Garbalotto. Mm-hmm. Very different kind of coaches, all not the most reserved of characters, all a bit you know, passionate and you know, verbal, etc. But I mean, how do you how do you compare them as as coaches and, and personalities, and I guess as people as well? Uh, they're all very similar in the sense that they're all very organised. They break game tape down, they do the scout reports, extreme detail and that. Fab was more extreme than Tony and and Rob. Um, but they're all winners and they all want to win and that, that comes across on the, on the sideline when they're dancing around or arguing every single call like the, just the, their pedigree on 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 how to conduct yourself on the court to bring it all the time are very similar in those senses. Um, but then, obviously, you know, Fab Fab's attention to detail was just absolutely insane, um, and he never stopped. Not that Rob and Tony don't stop, but Fab was just full on. It was meetings after practice, like it was. Just little things tweaking here and there, and like he had a formula that worked for him, and you know he wanted to get you up to speed as soon as possible, and 
and so then he didn't have to think of, think about you and it was basically you're just an extension of of him and and that's how he always kind of orchestrated his teams and stuff like that so um I've just been fortunate that I've I've had the experience of being coached by these you know three great coaches and um definitely you know in the top 10 of coaches that the league's seen um, and you can just you'll see that from their win percentages and um the accomplishments that they've had so uh, yeah I'm just very fortunate that I've managed to you know they saw something in me and give me an opportunity and, and I fulfilled what they needed and and yeah do you feel I mean they're all all coaches aren't afraid to hold back I think that's a common theme amongst all of them and you know as, as we've seen sort of changes in coaching styles and approaches and yeah, you know, I spoke to a, a national team coach in a different sport the other week, and he said, you know, I've, I've had to make adjustments for a younger generation. I can't be that shouty, screamy guy that I was 10 years ago. Do you do you find that, you know, as particularly as you've become the senior player on teams, that the player's role and the veteran player's role becomes more important in allowing being coached to be part of that culture? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think you're the more you, you're there more for the soundboard, and you know if guys are feeling it, you know, coach might not be in touch with them um, on a personal level. Obviously, you, you come in and you do your job, but obviously, I'm around play the players more, so you kind of see see if they're up or down and stuff like that. And you're more of a, a friend and someone to confide in. Uh, the older you get. Um, you've been there. You've experienced everything they've experienced, and you you, you kind of take take a little bit more responsibility off the coach and let him just do focus on what he wants to, to focus like focus on the basketball, and and you kind of take care of everything else. And then if if he needs to know anything else, then obviously you'll let him know. Um, but yeah, you know that's just the role that you take on when you become a senior player. And I don't know. I don't want to say the kids are. I don't know, the kids are just wired a little bit different. You know, I think everyone evolves differently and this younger lot, they, I think they were more receptive to kind of just being spoken to. In, whereas when I was growing up, coaches used to shout at you and that was the norm. But, you know, times change and everyone has to change. And, you know, if you get success out of that, then it can't be wrong. So, yeah. A good friend, Dan Rutledge, one of great, as he always has great stats. But here he is, 20 yeah. trophies. 15-2 record in finals, 7-0 in playoff finals. So by far yeah. the best undefeated record, as he says. 2.22 trophies per BBL season. It's the best yeah. of anyone that played five-plus seasons. When you look back at that, you know, there's been some very, very good squads, particularly in, in Newcastle and Leicester, but also Mersey as well. But yeah. Pick up, what's the best team of all those you played on? That's tough. You know, I, I can't pick one because obviously I've won I've won the clean sweep twice with Newcastle. Um, I think we underachieved at Mersey with the old British team that we had, um, and then the, the the Leicester team that I, my first year at Leicester we had a stacked team and I think if we had that team going into Europe, then I think we would have done very well. Um, but I can't, I can't pick one out really. Um, it, it's too hard. There's too many, 
too many variables, but it'll be an interesting it'll be an interesting kind of round robin to see which tank, which team came out on top because you know in the I don't know it'll be hard to it'll be hard to pick out of those be, actually sorry yeah four teams obviously the two the two clean sweep teams and then those two treble teams so um, I, I can't pick one team out of them all they're all special but um, they're all dangerous in their own right so I can't answer that sorry exclude Stuart from this conversation yep. who's been your favourite teammate oh um favourite teammate so I'd have two so I live with James Jones um so me and Jimmy go back way back um he's completely opposite to me he's a <laughs> split personality um he's a nightmare in the morning um so you just don't talk to him but you know, I lived with him for two years and just a great teammate, just about winning. Um, and these are just all on personal levels. They're not on, you know, about winning and stuff like that. And then uh, I struck up a great friendship with Tyler Bernardini when I was here. Um, and we still talk a lot. Um, so probably those two um, more than anything. But I've made so many great, I've had so many great teammates that it's hard just to pick out. But, you know, we're, those two kind of do stand out a little bit. This new life and this new enterprise you've been talking about, Sol, am I pronouncing it Solvere Therapies? Yeah, Solvere Therapies. Solvere yeah. Therapies, it's based in Press. So he's he a very fancy website if you want to Google it. Just lots of photos of Andy in action. So you got this holistic therapy, complementary treatments. Where's, mm-hmm. Where did the interest in the list come from other than probably aches and pains that you've had in getting treatment yeah. for them? So it came from um, each year, at the end of each season, I'd... Um, I'd come back home and uh, one of my best friends, his sister-in-law was a sports masseuse. So I'd go and see her for treatment and just just to kind of get myself feeling better again. And uh, I came in one time and she was like, yes, I don't do sports massage anymore. I do this new treatment. So I was like, she was like, just go with it. I'm sure you'll feel great afterwards. So I was like, ah, okay, whatever. So at the time I had bad knees, shin splints, bad back. Um, I was just in bits really. And normally it takes like a good, it takes the summer off to kind of start feeling good. Uh, so then, you know, I had this treatment by her. Um, it was proper wacky stuff at, at the beginning. And I was just like, what is going on? Like, you know, she was doing all these tests and she was like, okay, hold this there, hold this there. And she was like, okay, you got a weakness here, you got a weakness there. And I was just like, what? So then she does the treatment and then she sends me home. And I was like, all right, okay. So then I come back the following week, have the same treatment again. But then while I'm having the treatment, I'm just I'm just in a weird sense, like within myself, I'm just I'm feeling a lot better, a lot more more energy, my, my aches and pains started going away straight away. And within four treatments, my, my shin splints were fine, my knees were fine, my back was great, and I just felt the energy my energy level was 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 great as well. So kind of spoke to her about it I was like I'm really interested in this treatment um you know what is it about and she was like so she gave me the link she told me all about it and and then I was like I left it there and then a year later I was like you know there's some I'd like to get into it so then I spoke to spoke to the people at core therapy and and where I could do a course and stuff like that and then I started about doing that training up in the summer 
and um, I found the passion. I wanted to help people, and I've helped friends locally, and, and obviously more people have, have treated, you know, these, they enjoy the treatment and they, they, they feel the benefits from it. And that's when I thought, you know, potentially transition into this from basketball, and I've started growing that over the last couple of years. So, um, yeah, it's just a passion of mine. I just like to help people. And um, and it's kind of this, just organically grown from there. Well, we certainly wish you the best now if you're in that area and you're feeling icky. Thank you. Andy's now your man. Yeah. <laughs> Last question. <clears throat> now as you step away from the BBL, from a player mm-hmm. perspective, what, what needs to change? Where's the next step for this league? Next step. Everyone needs their own arenas so we can... So we can sort these fixtures out. Um, so it's 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 a, it's a steady. Everyone's playing at the same time. There's not teams that are playing like ten games, and then there's one team that's played four games. It's just it's just bizarre. That needs to, everything needs to kind of be simplified and and brought into line. Uh, I think there needs to be a players' union. Uh, I think players need to be protected a little bit more. The contracts are so heavily favoured in the club's favour um, that. You know, players are kind of kind of left out there a little bit, and I'm like, that's one thing that I kind of regret over my time that I wasn't, we weren't able to get a, a players' union back. I know the, the the league used to have one back in the day, um, and then obviously with the players' union, then you know the standards are going to be increased because there'll be there'll be set things that players want specifically, like travelling to games and expectation of what's at games and prep for games and. And all that kind of thing, you know, I think a players' union, but obviously it, that comes at a cost and, you know, I don't think the sport's generating enough money for that to be kind of kind of covered. You know, guys aren't getting paid huge amounts of money and for them to to kind of shell out a little bit of, of measly salaries that they're getting already to pay for a union, I don't think it's really worth it at the moment, but it's, it's where the, the league needs to go kind of thing. Um, yeah, it's been talked about for a very long time, but um... I know. And Kieran spoke about it uh, a couple of seasons ago, um, just before the the All Star game. All the captains were there, and and he, we had a discussion about it, and um, and it just never happened, kind of thing. You know, you know, guy, a lot of guys were interested, and obviously, it's hard to kind of sell something like that to the Americans who were here for one year and stuff like that. They don't really see the benefit um, of pay if they were to pay into something like that. Whereas obviously guys who are in the league for quite a few years, they'll see the benefit and they'll see the protection that they get and stuff like that. But it's, it was a, it's a sad thing that it does not, but hopefully one day they will. And and then obviously they need a, a permanent TV deal, uh, get back on Sky Sports and, and they can start bringing in the bigger sponsors and generate more money. But that, it's trending in the right direction, I've given that, but it is slow. And you know it's it's hard to get get that money from uh, sponsors at the moment. So uh, yeah. Well, you're fortunate. You're off now to own the big bucks. I know. BPL, so you'll be fine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Andy, how, it, it goes without saying. It has been a genuine pleasure covering your entire career and no. continued success outside of basketball i'm sure with all the success that you've had before it'll be a very smooth transition but good luck with it all and thanks for stopping no, by with you. us no sorry right. thank you um keep up the good work with your 
writing articles. I'll never forget the time where you uh, you dropped me in it when I was at Mersey and I gave you all the, uh, the juicy gossip about the financial problems and all that. But um, but yeah, no, thank you for everything that you do, um, spreading the word of British basketball. And um, I'll uh, I'll I always uh, follow you your website and that for the uh, for the information so uh, keep it up well keep if you hear any juicy gossip you know where i'm i'm still here i know, I know exactly. <laughs> thanks, thanks andy that is it for this okay. edition of the mvp cast brought to you with our sponsors at total environmental compliance give them a follow on social media at t compliance limited you can get all our previous editions at mvp247.com or subscribe via your preferred podcast provider or if you want to get in touch reach out to me via twitter at mark brickball another edition of the mvp cast coming very very soon but for me mark woods it's bye for now <laughs>